Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam, the Sam Moses. Hello. On today's episode, we are going into a little bit more of a gear episode. We've kind of been on a little bit of a streak. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be chatting today, as you probably read in the title, about EQs, equalizers, and all the little fun idiosyncrasies about them, what we have, why we use them, how we use them, and uh, maybe some things that we use as EQs that are not EQs, Mm. but I I don't know if you call that a little secret or whatever, but (laughs) (laughs) so... But yeah, we, we, you definitely can use some things for tone that have some pretty fun harmonic vibe to them. So anyway, I'm going to tee you up for this one, Sam. Wonderful. If you just want to kind of explain a little bit basics of EQs and then we can kind of get into the mess of knobs that I guess sit both in front of... <laughs> How many knobs are on this massive pack? That's 24 knobs just knobs. on the bands. Yeah, okay. Teeing you up, Sam. Yes. Tell me a little bit about equalization. Equalization. Well, I love EQ. EQ is probably one of my favorite things, and probably the best way to describe EQ is just adjusting the balance between frequencies and basically using that as a tool to get your source or in mastering it's for me getting the mix to be balanced so that it translates well to the consumer and eq is extremely important in my process it is probably the thing i do the most and the thing that gives me my sound the most uh or contributes to my sound a lot of my loudness um people ask how do you get things so loud and i always respond it's all about the eq balance and once you get your balance correct the song easily can get just about as loud as you would ever want it to because then the limiters or compressors whatever you're using to bring it up in volume Um, is working very smoothly. And so EQ for me is usually the first thing I will grab. Um, But when I talk about EQ, as Matt was saying, is I'm talking about more than just a standard equalizer. Um, In my case with mastering, I mainly use stereo EQ. So I'm adjusting the left and the right. Sometimes I'm doing mid-side, so I'm adjusting the center information, mono information, and then the side information, hence mid-side. But you can EQ or rebalance things by using compressors, limiters, tubes, saturators. All of them have color. And when people say color, really, to me, they just mean it has a EQ curve, basically. It does something sonically, um, EQ-wise, that changes what the source was to a different source. And basically, sometimes it's bassier, thicker, brighter, you know, wider, denser, thinner, 
all these things are, um, you know, foundationally, we're just talking about EQ. Like EQ is at the heart of anything we do in audio. Um, you're EQing when you move a microphone two inches further away from a snare drum. You're EQing when you position someone differently in a room or switch rooms. You're EQing when you switch out, you know, a Les Paul for a thin line telly. You're changing the frequency balance. Um, you're adjusting that to then fit into the greater, bigger scheme of the mix slash master. So for me, EQ is just, it's the roots of music, it's in music, and people don't really have a good understanding of EQ because A, there are a lot of different types of EQ um, that interact differently. So like a parametric EQ is different than a graphic EQ is different than linear phase EQ. You could boost the same frequency 50 hertz on each one of those, and it will do something differently as far as rebalancing the source, um, and that will give you a different end product. So for me, EQ is extremely important. Um, there's also within it the, um, the boosting and cutting, which is the great debate. Do you boost or do you cut? Um, people don't seem to talk a lot about Whichever you do, you're essentially doing the opposite. So if you're cutting something, you're, you could say you're cutting top end, but you could also basically look at it and see it as you're boosting bottom end <laughs> instead because you're just removing top end, depending on what type of EQ you're using. Some, some interact differently than that. Um, but yeah, for me, like EQ is critical in everything we do. It's usually the first thing I grab um, when I am mastering after I've listened and decided, okay, I hear the song, I hear where it is, I hear where it needs to go in order to be called done and ready for release so that it'll translate on an iPhone and big speakers and small speakers and wherever else, JBL Bluetooth speaker on the backyard, like I am always thinking about these sources and thinking about where the song is and where it needs to go, and then I pick what type of EQ I want to use. So maybe, Matt, I'll let you talk about different EQs. Like, I mean, I briefly have tube EQs. I have solid-state EQs. I have a pair of essentially vintage Pultex that are a mono, you know, a pair of monos that make up a stereo. And um, so, yeah, maybe, Matt, do you want to talk about your EQs, the types of EQs, and why you use them, or how you view EQ? EQ? No, not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. <clears throat> Episode over. That's 11 minutes. It. Great. Perfect. <laughs> um, so where did it, it's kind of like where to start. Right. So it's like whenever you kind of look at EQs, and any anytime that I... Uh, anytime that I look at one, I, I kind of like think of the of the history of like, okay, well, why why is why did why does this even exist? Why are we mm, here? Yes, talk about right that. now. And so, a lot of that, and there's there's no one straight answer. Every article that I read, you either go back and forth about uh, like what came first, the chicken or the egg, and it and. Going back, it really comes between uh, radio and broad. No, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, broadcast and uh, the old telephone systems. Um, 
a lot of anything that we do can really be traced back to like the old telephone lines and whatnot and <clears throat> the, the old telegraph lines back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, essentially it's like that's why you had like some of these beefy transformers that would say act as buffers that would help with long distance lines that maybe a long distance line back then was three miles. Um, but you, you had a lot of fidelity loss and whatnot as you transmitted and uh, an EQ would either, it would essentially try to balance out uh, what was lost with what is remaining or if anything was added to help remove that and to offer a little bit of different like curves and um, not necessarily, I don't really think they were going for flavor as much as they were going for stability and proper amplification and clarity in those days. They weren't really <laughs> as much cared for harmonic saturation and like, oh, well, check out this old, uh, I guess it wasn't old then. Yeah, I got this from the street down from the old uh, Alltech company or the Peerless company or the Western Electric company. It's not like the old vintage. It's not any of that anymore. Um, so, yeah, that, that that's really how... All of that started. You had in the in radio stations out for broadcast. It's like anything you could do to make that signal travel best, to cut best onto a record. Because I mean, before you would hit a like if you had a smaller town radio station, you would cut uh, just right onto a Presto lathe. In some cases, uh, right from uh, uh, what is it called? Yeah, right from the microphone. You would just go into a board, it'd be mixed, right? And you can just cut your thing and then they have their single or whatever they wanted to record then. I think Presto is the, I think they were the primary company. Mm-hmm. Kind of crazy if you ever get to get to look at those things. I think a couple people have kind of revived those old lathes. So those are cool. But anyway, yeah, EQ is pretty much to more nonetheless keep the balance. As far as mastering is concerned, um, Typically, as Sam said, a stereo EQ is the weapon of choice. And so stereo meaning you have both left and right channels or, um, excuse me, just burped. (laughs) In some mastering situations, you'll have an engineer elect to go into mid and side to where you have all the mono information and then the side is essentially everything minus the mono information. So... Um, and then how that affects uh, whenever you, say, do cut to vinyl and whatnot, you'll have specific curves that you'll abide by so you can have the maximum density of essentially music or grooves to fit on a record, and so you'll trim off a little bit of the top and bottom, and you'll have the uh, RIAA curve that will then be applied through modern phono preamps to essentially add that universally agreed-upon curve mm-hmm. uh, back in so that you have a you, maximum space on a record has been cons- has been preserved uh, for uh, maximum storage, and then you're able to add all of that stuff back. So, yeah, so that's some of it. Um, but, yeah, so you have mid-side, you have stereo, um, you can have tubes, you can have solid state, you can have like modern solid state equalizers. You can go, I think Chandler is the company that does them now with like these old, uh, these old fashioned inductors mm-hmm. is how they do their 
their EQs. I've always wanted to hear one of those. I've looked at those several times and heard many demos, but I've always wanted to to play around. I think they do a lot of the modeling off the old Abbey Road and EMI yeah. consoles that they had there. Um, so what do I have? I also have a massive passive, which is fun. Um, and as Sam said, and I can't agree more, essentially, like someone who wants something to be loud, um, you have to feed the limiter correctly. Yeah. And if you feed the limiter incorrectly, i.e. you feed it um, a lot of low end first, it's like, yes, you will technically be metering that that uh, hotter level, um, but you'll actually be replaying quieter than most modern songs where the vocal sticks out front and you have a little more top end out front. And it's like anytime you have low end up front, you're going to have uh, uh, substantial uh, limiter activity. Yeah. <laughs> So, and it won't be that like kind of smooth or like punchy or that that yummy kind of limiter action that you would like to happen. <laughs> It'll just be like if you listen to the Delta in like a, a Pro L2, you click the little headphone button, it'll be like, <laughs> how's that for mouth noise? That's pretty good. But it's like you'll just be, you'll just be taking off like a ton of body and just stuff that makes that music come alive. So the Massive Passive, I've found really good just for general, like one or two click balancing to uh, if you were to get something that uh, you can tell was not mixed appropriately or there's just something weird like uh, with how things were laid out. Um, this thing can do heart surgery, and yeah. it can do like like open heart surgery. The chest cavity, fully open, like like we are going to replace this this sucker. Um, so it can go from a haircut to uh, to surgery. So I love I love the massive passive. It definitely adds a pretty sweet vibe. I will say, however, it does not work for everything. So it's not, and I don't think any EQ is like a one like a one-stop shop for perfection. Um, <clears throat> what else do I have? I have a uh, Bax EQ by Dangerous, which is fun. Um, it's in half-step increments, and I think it's really funny because it's like every mastering engineer's lament and every gear, or I guess it'd be every gear manufacturer's lament and every manu- every gear manufacturer's um well, no, it would be every gear manufacturer's lament and every mastering engineer's desire is be like, man, but if I could just have this in quarter steps, right. that would be best. <laughs> um, so, I mean, sometimes half a dB is too much. Um, but essentially, you you have a uh, you have a shelving EQ. So it's like, say you have just like some low end that's just really, like really getting out of hand. And I've had a, a fair amount of those. It's like you just, you're literally one click away from like a perfect balance. So I've really enjoyed having it. Um, if you have some of that like infrasonic uh, uh, goodness or trash or garbage in the very bottom, then you can just take the low cut and you can just, okay, cool, let's just uh, pop in this low cut at 18 hertz. And just the way that the that the Baxendall EQ works is just so subtle and so nice and so transparent. It's like, hey, I want the vocal to come out. And 
It's like, okay, cool. I'm going to... I used to set it to 2.5. Uh, I don't really do that anymore. I like like so the points are where like the actual like peak of the curve is, and so there is like a substantial amount of leeway. Say you're talking on the top end, uh, far below say four point eight, which is what I'll dial in if like I want like a little bit of like airy vocal on top, and I want that to stand out. I know the peak is going to be around four point eight, and we're going to extend down. Uh, substantially further so it's like if i like i said want a vocal out i'll go 4.8 and then i'll just half a db click and we're there if you have um i could probably show this i don't know what kind of a post processing sam's going to do on this end (laughs) but if i turn if i'm on my pre and i turn off my high pass filter if i turn off like all the filtering that i use Mm -hmm. and then i can switch the z i guess high pass filter doesn't matter so i'll switch it back on if I switch to like a high Z, and the, like, and if I like remove my pop filter, so there's like, like if you're listening on monitors or like some good headphones, you can kind of hear this like little tiny, like sizzle at the very top that kind of gets a little bit annoying. Um, so it's just capturing a lot of top end information. So I'm gonna put back my pop filter and set the Z back to what I wanted it to be. Um, I have the Focusrite ISA pre. It's kind of fun um but what's nice about the backs is that i can go ahead and i can dial in uh you can cut as high as 70k yeah and then i think the next step down is 28 and then 19 and down around 12 and i think you can go all the way down to looks like seven um so i really like it it's just nice for uh subtle shaping i will normally hit it as soon as I come in, even if I'm not going to EQ with it, I just like what it sounds like when stuff runs through it. And it's not like a crate, it's not a tone box at all. It's very transparent. But just having it in, I like it more than not having it in. So it's just always on. And then normally I'll head to my massive passive. And an episode or two ago, which I don't think has aired yet, uh, I talk how I'm going to make a little chain with my backs, my manly, very mew. And my massive passive. I haven't done that yet. I've been <laughs> I've been too busy to crawl under my <laughs> desk recently. So so that's what I use for EQ. I'll also let me kind of look what I got here. So I'll also play a little bit with the little transformer silk of the Neve uh, MBP, which is fun. Um, I've been using it less recently. Um, the silk red, like if I turn it on, it's literally just on and at like the furthest left position I can get. Uh, so the furthest off position. Um, at the most, it's like a, a few clicks. <clears throat> but the red is nice. The red has like a little bit of a top end to it. I also find that like it kind of like chunks up the low end. A lot of people like are really they really like the top end, but the low end like it just gets like some interesting definition to it. Mm-hmm. So. That's kind of fun. This the blue silk is more uh, if you're going for something that's a little bit darker or wanting to be a little bit darker. Um, that's definitely fun to play with. It darkens up the top end, and then the low end gets a little bit fatter. Um, so the red definitely drives hotter than the blue. So you just kind of have to watch how you're going to gain stage all through that. So. As far as outboard goes, I'd say that's uh, that's what I do out of the box. You want to 
Chat about in the box EQ? Sure. What in, do you do? In the box EQ, well, in the box EQ to me sounds nothing like out of the box EQ. I'll start with that. Any modeling AB to me, analog EQ to me, I will say always wins as far as tone injection, coloring, fatness. Mm -hmm. But what I use in the box, I'm glad, you know, plug-in digital EQ exists because I find it to be very clean and surgical and helpful for doing all the fine-tuning things overall. I've always felt like analog is more broad movements um, and shaping personally than the surgical side of things. Um, And so I find digital EQ to be very helpful for taking care of annoying frequencies or if there is some bizarre frequency that a standard outboard EQ doesn't really have in it or a a unique Q, you know, with um, Mm -hmm. plugins are amazing for that. You can pretty much shape any sort of Q. And when I say Q, it's the width you know, of, well, it's the Q, that's what it's called. (laughs) The (laughs) The width of the band. Yeah, the band. And, um, you know, that can be extremely helpful and like the fab filter you can do. I like the fab filter um, EQ a lot. Hmm. It sounds very nice to me. Um, They have a few different settings. If you actually read the manual... Um, I think the default setting is basically like an analog EQ modeler. And as you get to, uh, please don't quote me on it, but I think it's if you're in like (laughs) full um, linear phase mode, it's no longer analog EQ modeling. It's like just digital clean. Um, And most people do not know that uh, about that plugin. So... You know, I I find that EQ to be helpful. I really like um, Brainworks. Their mid-side EQ is a lot of fun to use. Do you use that, like, massive one that they have? Yeah, the really big one. It's like a a lot of people who use it. Yeah. It's a a great EQ. It's very clean-sounding. It feels very transparent to me. And it does mid-side really well um, without being phasey. And I've used that for like five or six years now. And hmm. it continually is a, a tool that I will use. Not I definitely don't use it every project. Um, I've actually, I do far less mid-side the longer I master, which has kind of been interesting. But... Um, hmm which I don't know why other than I feel like I don't need to do it as much anymore, but that's probably a whole other podcast <laughs> of mid-side talk. Um, but yeah, I find that I find the brainwork stuff to be really good. Um, very clean, very professional, very accurate. The metering seems to be very accurate. Um, I don't notice any distortion from if I ever need to do filtering. Some EQs you can cause distortion if you filter too hard. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know about that. That's something that 
within um, most. Oh, this is what you and I were talking about the other day. Which I feel thing? like we I feel like we've talked about this I'm like sure three or four have. times. Yeah. One thing I talk about with people is, I mean, this gets into the uh, <laughs> rabbit hole of sample and bit rate, but most consumer playback systems have non uh, linear alias filters going on, and they're basically super hard filters that cut at twenty hertz and twenty k. If you're lucky, mm. if it's a nice, you know, consumer playback system. Most are worse than that. So any frequency below or above that um, is going to be hard chopped with like a hard cutoff filter. And that can, from the top end, um, if you're on a crummy, you know, cheap speaker, which is almost everybody listens on 10 cent speakers, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. I do it too. But understanding that it hard chops like at 20K or 18K or starts to roll off really hard below that, anything above that is now getting basically mistreated and abused on the top Mm -hmm. end, and that can cause distortion that we hear. And that's one of the, for me, the best arguments of not not printing and playing back at super high sample rates or even recording because when it gets to the consumer side, you know, 44116 basically is that 20 to 20,000 like range. And as you get above 44116, then you start to get into, you know, extended frequencies that, you know, we don't hear, but we say we can feel or it, you know, plays into how we capture accurately, you know, more of the source. And there's, there's validity, I think, to all that. Um, but it's just something people don't know. Like when we talk about EQ, you know, it goes even into how, does, how is a speaker EQ'd? It's like the curve, you're, the RIA curve you're talking about, Matt. Like all of that is extremely important and it's extremely uh, unknown. And people don't think about the medium in which people consume things. Everything has an EQ curve on it. Um, and that is, I mean, that's essentially, you know, you kind of mentioned it, but why EQ exists is to enhance and help the, the, you know, the source to be able to translate on small speakers to big speakers, to home theater, to car, to movie theater, et cetera. That's kind of its purpose is to enhance that. Um, but to circle back to the original question about digital EQ, um, I find it to be great. I like digital EQ. I do not go with digital EQ if I need any sort of fun, (laughs) I'll say. Um, Hmm. I use it for... I mainly cut with digital, you know, harsh frequency top-in, muddiness, or if a filter... Sometimes a digital filter sounds better than, like, the Massive Passive or something else I'm using... If it's just a different frequency that isn't an option on the outboard um, for low end specifically, shaping the low end. Like the overstayer has a fun 50 hertz resonant peak filter um, hmm. that is awesome, but it can be sometimes it can cut too much of the sub out. Um, so that's, you know, something if I'm using that, it's almost. It's really good usually with rock and things like that where, you know, I don't have like 808s going every other beat. 
Um, so it kind of boosts around 50 hertz and then starts to roll off and it makes a really tight bottom end for like rock and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, digital EQ to me is great. I like the Fab Filter. I like Brainworks. I use Logic's linear phase EQ all the time for things. Um, I like all of Logic's stock stuff. I don't have any issues with it. I've been using it for 10 years. No one's ever complained. Um, I don't complain about it, <laughs> having to use Logic stuff if I want to. Uh, I think digital EQs do all have a different sound. Uh, if I A, B, C, D, E, F, G compare, you know, a linear phase EQ next to a linear phase EQ and so on with the same cuts and boosts and they do all sound differently, um, which is not uncommon. And so that's kind of how I use it. I use it to repair mainly. Um, mm -hmm. I use it to cut out annoying things. I use it to... Uh, you know, if there's something that needs, well, usually I don't do this at all, but if there was like a 10 dB super narrow Q of a frequency somewhere, I would use probably digital to do that because it will just do it more surgically um, without impacting probably the surrounding area as much as if I tried to do that in the analog world. So that's kind of how I use digital EQ. I think it's great. I think it's very clean usually. Even the analog emulations of EQ I find to be super clean. I wish, honestly, that emulations of gear would be dirtier, like all of them, because <laughs> I just find outboard gear to be so much more dirty and distorted and thick and, like, manipulating to where, like you kind of said, like, when you just hit the backs without doing anything, like, it changes in, like, drastically probably at the mastering stage to be better. And maybe drastically is too much, too strong a word, but... I, mean, I, just, I would just say with, with that, it's like, it just kind of feels like there's like a less of a top on it. Yeah. It just kind of feels like a top has been lifted just a little bit, as opposed to like whenever it's just in bypass. Yeah. And so I just like, shit, I just, <laughs> like, I'll just leave this guy in. Right. It's and just I, like, it, it's what you do. It's just a really quick, like mental, does it sound good? Does it not sound good? Right, and, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's my wish. Like, I wish digital EQs. I wish all things that anal that emulated analog hardware sounded more analog. And I, when I say that, it means like I don't think they're doing a great job emulating how much analog changes things. Like it's mm -hmm. it's so drastic um, in a good way. And to me, that's still where like digital lacks with the emulation is you know there's a place for both that's fine not saying one's better than the other i'm just saying the the emulations of the analog gear i have you know a being plug into that's it just sounds totally different and i use i'll use the same thing totally different you know <coughs> so that's my view of digital eq um it's great love it i use it to repair so what do you think matt good uh, what do I use? Um, I've really been digging, and I told you about this the other day. Yes. Again, I think the the Acoustica Scarlet. Yeah, I need which to do is that. nice and fun. Uh, it's a Sontech emulation, and there's two versions that you get. Well, there's four. You get like either you have like your 64 bit and all that stuff, but uh, the two that you get are 
a classic version and then just kind of like a regular. And if you read the manual, like the EQ bands uh, kind of sharpen up for the non-classic version. It's kind of like more of an expected curve as opposed to the curve that I guess they emulated when they did the when they emulated the first one. That's really nice and fun. I've actually, um, I really love adding a little bit of low end with that. It just gives it like the perfect amount of ass. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to add ass in the <laughs> in the digital realm, but also it's really good at getting rid of too much low end. Yeah, that I found recently. So I really like that. You can just push a vocal so nice through it. I don't use any of the low shelf. I think that gets a little too like like all the junk. Um, the high shelf, if you would like a little bit of harmonic transient information up there in the airwaves, it's very nice and it's very tasty. Um, <laughs> the output gain is also really nice if you just need to drive something. I'm trying to do an experiment if by using it in some ways that like I'm losing a little bit of character in the mids uh, just from like what it's doing harmonically. So I'm still exploring that. If anyone else has any experience in that, uh, feel free to reach out. What else do I use? Fab filter, EQ, the Q2 or Q3. Uh, I will not use the dynamic EQ with it. I'm not the biggest fan of it. I know some people use it and they love it. Good for you. Um, the only time I use the Fab filter EQs are when I need to make a really large cut. Like if I just have a frequency that is just obnoxious and it just needs notched out, uh, that is my go-to. If I need, if I have a lot of infrasonic junk in the bottom, that can get rid of 99% of my problems. Um, let's see. I tried using it originally for everything, if I needed mid-side and stereo and everything. And it was, personally, for me, it was just too much up front. It was just like, there, there comes a certain point where it's like, okay, now what, what am I looking at? This is mid-side. And, and so it's like, if it like complicates a process for me, and it's like, I know I'm like, I have like the, the brain of a child with this. <laughs> just like, <laughs> if it's like overwhelming or something like that, it's like, yeah, whatever. I'll just go to something that's a little bit easier. So... But just for like massive sweeping moves that I need to make to fix something, that guy is really good. Um, I also have the Bax, that is uh, the plugin. I actually use the mixing version of it more than the mastering version. I don't like how you have like the both, like the two stack. Mm-hmm. Just, just give me the just, just give me the one. Cut the BS. Um, the output drive on it's nice, which you don't have on the on the analog versions. You can just drive the output. I used that recently, and that's kind of cool. Um, the one thing, and somebody who does development, because I know we have a handful of, like, we just have, like, a really awesome assorted crowd that listens to this. Um, the point that Sam and I always end up in, and it's like, okay, it print, like, we have our print, we like it, we come back, we listen to it, and it's like, eh, I might want to, like, take a little bit of a cut or something like that. I think this is what you were talking to me about. Mm-hmm. I've done this a handful of times. Um, anytime I dial in a cut, uh, and say that I have like my limiter right after my backs, like my final limiter, it will like more signal information 
will be fed to the limiter so that if I was limiting maybe 0.5 at specific peaks, I might now be uh, limiting 1.2. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm not doing anything. I'm literally like, the thing says cut. <laughs> what is going on? So if anyone can answer that, that would be great. So if you ever use uh, an EQ uh, like right before a limiter, I would probably recommend a shelf. So at least a digital EQ. Um, so that's at least my little experience. If anyone can answer that, that would be great. Um, what else do I use? I think in a past episode, I think I said that I downloaded Ozone 9. I've been having a lot of fun with it. Um, I was on 7, and then I was like, yeah, let's go ahead and try whatever's out now. Or like dip our toe in the water, see if we like it. And I liked it, so I bought it. Um, what do I use on it? Really just EQs. Um, I really like the mid-side. I really like how you can like solo out whatever you're cutting or boosting. I don't boost with it. I really just cut and shape. If I ever need to do something mid-side, I'll do it in, in Ozone. Um, I do think what, what Sam said in a few episodes ago that Ozone has a tone, I do think that that is correct. I do th- think that there is a tone there, so I try to use it as little as possible. Mm-hmm. But I just... Uh, yeah, I love the stereo EQ. I think it's very intuitive. I like the mid-side EQ, also very intuitive. Um, I guess I'll keep it to that since this is an EQ episode. <laughs> they have a, what do they call it? This is like, the, the words on this is so small now. Uh, they have a low-end focus, which is kind of fun. It's, I guess it's kind of like what Spiff by Oak Sound does. It's like kind of like a little like transient designer, but for the low end that you can kind of move around, and you can be like, do you want it smooth? Do you want it uh, punchy or whatever it is? And uh, yeah, that's been interesting. I haven't really used it that much, but it's been kind of fun to to doll around with. What I like a lot is the master rebalance that they have, and I'll use that a little bit like an EQ, and if. Uh, Anything needs if if the song needs something or like something needs to hit a little bit harder, or is just like way too much bass or like the drums are just freaking hot or something, you can go into this master rebalance and through whatever AI wizardry they created, you can take the vocal, the bass, or the drums, and you can turn it up or down. I can't remember by how much, but I mean, you only need like. You don't really need much more than a dB. I'm normally like maybe like 0.2, 0.4. If like this vocal needs to come up or it needs to go down, it's absolutely fantastic. So I kind of use that, I guess, a little bit like an EQ. Um, so yeah, if you have nine, that's definitely fun to play around with. Kind of going down my plug-in list of what I <laughs> what I use now. <laughs> I've used the Brainworks EQ, and I just... I'm I'm kind of like a caveman. I just I I, I don't I don't really want that many knobs. <laughs> I don't I don't know if I if I need that type of power. If I if I need to wield that type of power, so I if I'm ever trying to get rid of something and nothing else will, I mean, yeah, it's like that's definitely on the list of what I'll of what I'll pull up. But if I use it, it is I can probably count on one hand how many times I use that in a year. Yeah. Um you know what else I use as an EQ? So I'll go into that uh, Slate 
virtual tape machine. And it's kind of funny how you can dial around the uh, like the different tape that you're using, tape speeds, and then you can kind of go into the settings and you can like adjust the low end and whatnot. And it's like, if I need a little bit more low end or if I need less low end, you can just literally just dial that in. And it's like, okay. And for a handful <laughs> of times that I've just gone into the tape machine and I've been like, yeah, sure, this is uh, not really, I don't think, how it's supposed to go, but we're going to take it there. So that's been nice and fun. And it's like you get like the nice, like beefy, round kind of tape thing. But I mean, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes there's just like too much like muffled garbage around it and you just can't pull out a transient or something. And I mean, it just kind of is what it is at that point. Um, but yeah, I will use that, and that's that's pretty fun. You do have to watch it because whenever you pull out something that that is that is that harmonically rich, you are going to be affecting everything across the spectrum. And then something that emulates tape and tape speeds and everything, you're kind of playing with fire to a degree because it's like yeah, you open it up for the low end, but what else is happening? Like okay, well this is at. Uh, this is running at a pretty quick speed and we're going to be like, like there's going to be like natural energy mm-hmm. that just gets invoked into that as opposed to like, like running at a slower speed. So just like kind of, kind of play with that. If anyone has that Ampex tape machine that UAD put out, I think that's one, like as far as playing with tape, I think that's on my, on the short list to check out. So if anyone has that, let me know how you like it. Um. Oh, I have a wish list item. I'll come back to that. Uh, let's see. The Oxford Inflator. I like that a lot. Oh, yeah. I know Sam likes that a lot. Yes. The Oxford Limiter I maybe use once or twice a year uh, for the little character, like the high-end stuff that it does. I really like that. Sam turned me on to that. I love it. Let's see. Okay, okay. We'll go to my wish list, and then, and then we'll wrap this this podcast. So... You have SoftTube, and they came out with the Weiss DSer, and essentially what they said is, "Yeah, we just pulled the cord off the, we just pulled the code off the boards, and it's it should be a, just a direct emulation because it's all digital." So my hope and my wish list is that in the future, SoftTube or whoever comes out with the Weiss EQ. Yeah. Because I have several friends who have that, and they say it is a beast. And if SoftTube does not come out with one soon, then I might buy one. So, <laughs> Because it's like freaking from the 90s, and it's still just like an insane powerhouse of a digital EQ. So I just, uh, that's my wish list. So if anyone knows anyone, tell them that somebody not important asked for it. So, <laughs> Anywho. That's uh, that's what I do EQ wise. Love it. You uh, you have anything uh, equalization related for the? Well, the I just wanted to touch real quick on, you know, I mean that the bulk of the episodes on standard EQ, but I wanted to talk quickly about compressors that I use. The idea that you can use compression and limiting. Oh, yeah. As EQ, and often I will use a compressor 
as EQ because of the way it attenuates. And anytime you're attenuating with a compressor, you're essentially creating a dynamic EQ in theory or something mm-hmm. like that. And so different compression sometimes um, sounds more musical or bounces along better than you know shelving the low end you could use like the SSLG comp or anything that's a clone of that. Really, the SSLG comp kind of for a long time took out low end was kind of its thing, and now that you can you can sidechain and there's new clones that make high pass filters on it because it has this. I mean, it came it became kind of the iconic sound, but it's an issue of that it's very sensitive to low end, and also there's kind of a a mystery that if you crank the makeup gain on the SLG comps, it sounds like the low end kind of thins out as you crank the yeah. output um, on the originals. And I've I've noticed that on some of the remakes too. It feels that way. And so um, sometimes that can be great if you have a, uh, a muddier or a tubby mix, an SSL style comp, can immediately clean that up and add the glue, which I think people describe a cell as glue and up front and kind of wide and bright. And, oh, yeah. And I think that comes from maybe just the fact that um, it's removing some bottom end. <laughs> and so anytime you remove bottom end and you clean up you know, your low end while compressing, say, the, the top end, it's going to sound more exciting and up front and glued together instantly. Um, and that's... You know, something I will use as a tool instead of EQ is use that as my equalizer to remove some of the low end if something feels a little too tubby or kind of flubby in the low end or mid range. The SLG comp can do something sonically that an EQ cannot do, um, but it's still EQing, it's rebalancing, just rebalancing via compression. And one fun thing, like, um, that I was taught from one of my mentors, who is a big mastering engineer in town. He, when we first started, when I was shadowing him, he made me. I've talked about it, I think before, but it was one mm-hmm. of the best exercises of. You master a song with only EQ, and you master a song only with compressors, um, and you have to try and get to the same spot, essentially, hmm. knowing that you won't, you know, in theory, but, you know, if. If you have too much low end and top end and blah, 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 then what compressors can you stack together to make that EQ curve and fix that balance? Um, And then you do the same thing with just using EQ. And the idea really is just that you learn your tools really well of what things sound like and what they actually are capable of doing at different levels and, and the order signal chain. And I think you'd agree, Matt, is like so incredibly important and rearranging one piece of gear will change everything about your your sound and that's something for people at home you know I have people ask me like where should I start with mastering you know outside of you know usual responses listen to music you gotta have like a catalog in your head of what Mm. a finished product sounds like and what things sound like what a mix sounds like and a master sounds like but the second thing is always like learn your tools and become obsessed with knowing what every plugin and piece of gear does because the longer I do this, I feel like mastering is so much just troubleshooting. Like a professional to me just knows how 
to troubleshoot anything that comes their way. And I became better and better at troubleshooting once I really started to sit down and listen to my gear and plugins as well and just see, okay, if this is at, you know, the first notch, what does it sound like? Second notch, okay, a little fatter. Third notch, too fat. Fourth notch, never would use that probably unless Hmm. I was in this situation. Okay, make a note of that. And so forth. And doing that has, A, made me a way better engineer in general, but master engineer specifically. But the majority of that, you know, is all about, it's all about EQ. Everything I use is equalization. You know, circling back to the beginning of this is anything I pick is just to help rebalance and enhance the signal so that the consumer can enjoy it better and, you know, hear what the song is. And so don't be afraid to use a compressor or a limiter or a saturator or something else as EQ. Don't always just think, oh, I need to pull up, you know, a fab filter EQ. You could think, oh, maybe I could use a compressor and see what that does instead. And sometimes you will get a better result. Um, It's kind of like how I feel like tubes really kind of smear and blur things, which can be amazing but it can also be awful for fast transient clean type stuff sometimes it's terrible mm-hmm. but like my manly uh, microphone i have when i record pop people with it or rappers the s is just it sounds like there's a built-in de-esser and i think it has to do with um a the quality but the b the tube in it tubes saturate kind of top end to a more tasty sounding thing usually than you know, a like a solid state or kind of a cheaper microphone or a cheaper preamp. And, you know, that's, I'm essentially using tubes and anybody who plays guitar or knows tubes knows that, you know, the type of tube you pick in is basically an EQ curve. And the way you drive that tube changes the EQ curve of what you're going to hear. Some tubes are dirtier, some are more mid-range top end. And so that's what, you know, for me, and I'll wrap this episode for for what I wanted to say was, you know, don't be afraid to use something that is not traditionally an EQ to be your go-to EQ or to be mm-hmm. the solution to your equalization problem. So I just want to touch on that real quick, but I am done. That's all I wanted to say. Nice. Sweet. Take so, us home, final Matt. question for you. Okay, what? Do you spell equalizer with an S or a Z? I would say that you could spell it either way. <laughs> but how would Sam spell it? I mean, I'd probably go with a Z just to... Okay, just we can we a, can still be friends. A Z That's is okay. fun. That was a test. <laughs> you passed. Oh, excellent. Go. You passed the test. I got sweaty for a second. <laughs> it's kind of gross. I mean, I would say I would usually spell it with a Z, but I've seen... I think, well, like word equalization being an S and an equalizer being a Z. So I, I think just know I, that like you'll have like over in the UK, I think is like the main. Oh, is that where differentiation? It Interesting, because like they'll have they'll spell analog like all different too. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to like go figure out how they spell it. Yeah, we'll have to check. And that make out. fun of them on another episode, but yeah, equalizer. 
I spell with a Z as well, so yes. we can still be friends. Excellent. So That's a good thing. We can keep going on the podcast then. All right. On to episode eight. Woo! <laughs> all right. Anywho, uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard in this episode or in past episodes or what you anticipate in future episodes, drop us some likes, some stars, some comments, wherever you are. And thank you for being you. I imagine Sam has a sweet beat queued up from beesabeats.com. Mm-hmm. If you want to buy a beat, there's only one place to buy beats, and that's buying Sam's beats at beesabeats.com. So, man, I should do voiceovers for ads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, if you want any merch, I think we have a little bit at the merch store. Um, <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess yeah, now, now we have a... I haven't told you this, but I'm going to need the closet where the merch is because my wife and I are having a kid in July. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, if you want to buy any merch and help me out, I probably won't put it on sale, but if you want to buy some merch and help clear our closet out, just uh, either way, either that or I got to send it to Sam. So <laughs> <laughs> either, I have either way, to send it to me. Need, to, need, need to move it. So anywho, yeah, whatever... Uh, Whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one. Thank you so much for being you and tuning in. And uh, we'll catch y'all in the next episode. Sam? Matt. Cue the music. Cueing! Bye.